0: If you've been worshiping with us at Kenilworth Union Church during the season of Epiphany, you know that the lectionary area is telling us the story of Jesus as that story comes to us from the Gospel according to St. Matthew. Two weeks ago, Joe preached a great sermon on the Beatitudes with which Jesus begins the sermon, and the passage I'm reading this morning is the passage that comes directly after the Beatitudes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its taste, it's no longer good for anything. You throw it out and trample it underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, hides it under a bushel basket, but he puts it on a lampstand so that it gives light to the entire house. In the same way, let your light shine before people, that your good works may be known And give glory to God the Father in heaven. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I recently heard of a group of friends who get together regularly for drinks and for a friendly competition. They gather on a regular basis and compete to see which one of them can make the group cry in the fewest words. And so one of them offers this, the last whale swam deeper. Someone else quotes a line from Chekhov, you mean I'm being left behind? I think I've told you before about the shortest, saddest story I've ever heard, for sale, Baby shoes never used. Now, sometimes it seems to me as if Jesus is in a race to see how few words he can use to shape our character. You know, some of Jesus' parables are full-fledged narratives. They have a beginning, a middle, a climax, and a denouement. The prodigal son story might be the most perfect story ever told in human history. It's about 500 words in my English version. But others of his stories are just a line or two. Jesus' shortest stories are both short and small. That is to say, Jesus loves to tell short stories about small things that have huge impact. The kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price. When a man finds it, he sells everything he has to own it. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds which grows into a giant tree. The kingdom of God is like a sliver of yeast that makes the bread rise. You are the salt of the earth, he says. You are the light of the world. Jesus' shortest stories are so short, he can tell two of them in fewer than 100 words. Short stories about small things with huge impact. It's so simple it barely needs exposition, right? But that's what you pay me to do, so I'm going to do it two words that I want to look at with you from this story, these short stories of Jesus. A noun and a verb, actually a pronoun and a verb. The verb, of course, is are. This seems so obvious, but it's actually very important. Just this common state of being verb in English, are. It's are, it's not should. This is an affirmation, not a command. This is an indicative, not an imperative. Can you see the scene? Sermon on the Mount, on that hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee, thousands skittering down the hillside. Can you see the smile on Jesus' face when he's... You are the salt of the earth, this pulsating plethora of Palestinian peasants. He's so hopeful for the future. He is gigantic with expectations, looking at the likes of you and me. You just are the salt of the earth, the light of the world if you're Jesus' follower. So much for the verb, now the noun, salt. And you can see how perfect this image is for Jesus to get his point across, right? It is a human staple. It is an essential to animal life. It is the only rock human beings eat. Sodium is an unstable metal that sometimes spontaneously combusts. Chlorine is a poisonous gas. But in compound, this unstable metal and this poisonous gas lead to a sine qua non of animal existence. Your body, as I speak, has about 250 grams of salt in it, about four salt shakers. And it's a good thing, too, because without it, respiration, circulation, and digestion are impossible. I love this story. In the 6th century, the Moors traded salt for gold, ounce for ounce. If you had an ounce for salt, you could trade it for an ounce of gold. The price of gold this morning, by the way, was $1,235.80. Morton salt is 20 cents an ounce. Things change. (laughs) Until about 100 years ago when the Ball brothers taught us to heat and pack food in glass jars... And after Clarence Birdseye taught us to pack it in ice to preserve it, salt was the only ingredient to preserve food. So salt, of course, is crucial to human commerce. All perishable items were preserved by salt while being traded. And so exorbitant salt taxes over the course of history have sparked revolutions in America under Jefferson and Adams, in France under Robespierre, and in India under Gandhi. And it's been so crucial to animal existence that it's crawled its way into every corner of every human language. Leafy vegetables are called salad because we put salt on them. Salami is salted meat. Salzburg is salt salt town in English because of the salt trade there. Your wages are called a salary because Roman soldiers were once paid in salt. We call them soldiers, French for salt earner, for the same reason. In Rome, a young man in love was said to be salacious, literally salted, because romance has salted, energized his mind with pornographic images. And this is the perfect metaphor to, G- to get Jesus' point across because it's so important. Sine qua non. And you don't need a lot of it, right? It's just a small thing with a huge impact. Well, you need a lot of it to de-ice your roads, but Jesus didn't know about that. He's thinking about seasoning your food, preserving it. In fact, too much salt is a bad thing, right? Gives you high blood pressure. Conquering armies used to salt the farm fields in a destroyed city so that nothing would grow there afterwards. So I don't know about you, but for me this seems like a timely word from the Lord just now. In South Elgin, a middle school student hit 12-year-old Henry Semder so hard it put him into a coma because Henry bumped into him in the hallway. In the loop a few days ago, a 31-year-old man slapped swastikas on a synagogue and broke a window with one of those serious bike locks you see in the city. In a huge public university not that far from here, someone sent a valentine which said, my love burns for you like 6,000 Jews. Picture of Hitler in the corner. You know, this guy who put the the swastikas in the synagogue, he doesn't look like a lunatic on the outside. He's a CPA. He has a master's degree from DePaul University, that venerable Vincentian institution. And I know it's always like this, Stuff like this is always going on, but it just seems to me that the haters think they have permission to come out of the closet lately. Did you see Aziz Ansari's monologue on Saturday Night Live about lowercase KKK? In the immortal words of Taylor Swift, haters gonna hate, but it's getting harder and harder to shake it off, Right? So, maybe this will wake me up. Maybe I've taken too much for granted. Maybe I've fallen asleep and left it to other people to fix the broken world, right? You are the salt of the earth, says Jesus to me, with great expectation, grace, and affirmation. But then he goes on. If the salt loses its taste, you throw it in the garbage. Do you know the Greek word that's translated in English, loses its taste? It's moronos. No translation needed. Jesus calls the tasteless salt a moron. Stupid salt. Throw it out. Maybe I've been acting stupid or not at all. I have to figure out what this means to me. You have to figure out what it means, if anything, to you. But let me tell you two stories that inspired me, and then I'll shut up. Do you know who uh, Bill Christopher is? Bill Christopher died on New Year's Eve. He was 84 years old in Pasadena. But he was born in Evanston, and he grew up in the northern suburbs here somewhere. I can't figure out where. He graduated from New Trier High School, probably class of, I know it was the class of 1950, because Ralph Smith was his classmate. He was a great guy, but very unassuming. You might know him best as Father Mulcahy, from the Mobile Army Surgical Hospital in the Korean War on that television show, MASH. Can you see the beatific face with the wire rim glasses? <laughs> when he died, Loretta Swit, hot-lips Hulehan, said he was TV's quintessential padre. He was probably responsible for a lot of people returning to church. And Alan Alda, Hawkeye, said on Twitter, Bill's strength, grace, and gentle humor weren't acted, they were just Bill. And I was so surprised because there's there's an actor pretending to be a priest. I don't even know any real clergy persons who aren't acting half the time when they're being nice, just pretending to be sanctified. When Mr. Christopher was not acting on stage or screen, he was caring for his severely autistic son. His name is Ned, and he'd be about 50 years old today. He lives in an institution. When Ned was three years old, his nursery school teachers said they'd never seen a brighter toddler, but he couldn't speak to people. Some days he would weep all day long. Sometimes he just spent the day licking the pavement. And yet, Mr. Christopher took him through Indian Guides and Little League Baseball, and spent his non-acting time advocating for autism causes. And so when I read that, I just decided I'm going to stop acting like and just be the salt of the earth because that's what Jesus thinks I am. So I might as well live up to that expectation. One more. Ron McNair was born in 1950 in Lake City, South Carolina, small farming community. And Ron was this bright, curious kid. He loved to read, especially books about astronomy and jet engines. So one day when he was about nine years old, Ron decides to take himself for a walk down to the public library. And when he walks into the reading room, everybody just stops what they're doing and stares. And Ron walks over to the stacks and gets out a couple of books about stars and rockets and stands patiently in line to check these books out and when he gets to the counter the librarian says what are you doing here you know this is the white library I can't give books to coloreds and Ron says ma'am I'd like to check these books out and she says you better get out of here or I'm gonna call the police and your mother and Ron hops up on the counter and says I'll wait And when the police arrive and his mother, one of the policemen says, what's the problem here? And the librarian says, well, this colored boy wants some of the white books. And the policeman says, well, what's the problem? Just give him the books. And the librarian discovers that she's not only outnumbered but outscrupled. So she checks out the books for him and Ron walks away and Ron's mother says, what do you say, Ron? And Ron says, thank you, ma'am. Seven years later, when Ron is in high school, mid-60s, this new television show comes on. It's called Star Trek. And the crew of the Starship Enterprise is not only multiracial, but multiplanetary, planetary multi-galaxial. There's Lieutenant Uhuru and Mr. Spock and other creatures of diverse tongue and varied hue and unearthly shapes. And most of them, except for the Klingons, try to get along and work together for their mission, which is to explore strange new worlds and to boldly go where no one has gone before. And Ron's brother says, Carl, Carl says, when that show came on, it was just science fiction. That ain't going to happen. They aren't going to put a black man on a spaceship. But Ron didn't think it was science fiction. Ron thought it was science. And so he becomes valedictorian at his little South Carolina high school and he goes on to earn a PhD in physics from MIT and he works for NASA and you probably know that he was the second African American to reach space and you might also know that he was on the space shuttle Challenger on January 28, 1986 when it exploded. I still remember what I was doing when I saw those pictures. I'm not saying I'm going to be any good at it. I'm just saying I'm going to try a little harder to be the salt of the earth, a little more adventurous, a little more pioneering like Ron McNair or like those policemen that got that little black boy his first books and got this whole thing started. You are the salt of the earth. Can you see the smile on Jesus' face? Great with expectation. You are the salt of the earth. Salt keeps food from going bad. Christians can keep the world from going bad. So don't be afraid. Welcome the stranger. Embrace the other and the different. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Repay no one evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all.